Amen. What a beautiful song. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, as we continue through the book, and uh, the love that John talks about is, is uh, for me, is pretty amazing. And what he tells us through this is love is not just something we proclaim, it's something that we show. It's something how we act and how we treat others. And so we know in the world there's many that say that, I love you, but they treat us differently. Husbands to wives, I love you, but we see abuse and neglect that goes on. And such in the body of Christ it can happen. Jesus says, why do you say you love me and do not the things I command? So we know that as people we make many professions in our lives. But the truth is in how we respond and how we act. And that is what John is talking about here. Born of God and believing in the Son of God is what he's talking about today. And chapter 5, the first five verses say this. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments... For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So being born of God is the source of this love. So again, as we talk about the love, it's not a philia. A, a brotherly love, it's not a familia, a family love, it's not a physical type of love, but this is an agape love. Many in the Christian realm deal mostly in philia love. They draw alliances, they have friendships, and they, they walk in that love. But God has called us to a higher love. He's called us to this agape love. It's a love without conditions. It's a love that shows itself out expecting nothing in return. It's a transparent love. It's a love that as people look at us, they see the actions of Christ being done and not the actions of the flesh. And so John has many times mentioned being born of God, 1 John 2.29, 3.9, He talks about this being born of God. He starts out, you know, he who says that he is a child of light and walks in darkness, he says is a liar and the truth does not abide in him. And so when we look at these things, we ask ourselves again, what do we do with these scriptures. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, he says here, it means that he believes that he is his Savior, his Messiah, his Lord, not just the Messiah or the Savior or the Lord. Is he your personal Lord and Savior? Because John says there's a difference. There's many who profess Christianity. There's many who claim the name of Christian or being a Christ follower, but their ways are far from them. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I tell you to do? And of course, they're sort of rhetorical questions because they show, really, the relationship isn't there. That's what Jesus is saying. So John's great emphasis has been on love, but he never wants us to believe that we're earning salvation by loving somebody. We are saved by grace through faith, not of works lest anyone should boast. And though agape love is not a work that we can generate, sometimes in this philia, 
we're sort of generating this brotherly love. We think, well, I'm a Christian because I'm being nice to everybody. I'm, I'm a Christian because I'm doing this or I'm doing that. Agape love is something that just naturally flows out of us. Agape love is not something that, that hides itself. Again, as I said, it's transparent of what God has in our lives. And so when we put our trust on Jesus and his saving work in our lives, we are then a child of God. And again, he tells us that this is showed out in our life by the result of having Christ in our life. So we believe that Jesus is the Christ. See, there's many in the New Age sort of type thinking that talk about this Christ spirit. Those that follow Confucius and Buddha, Muhammad, Allah, they'll say they had a, the Christ spirit. But we don't talk about the Christ spirit. We say Jesus is the Christ. He doesn't have the Christ spirit. He is the Christ. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. And this is the common ground that holds Christians together. That's why many times within churches there's not the unity because they don't see the work of Christ. They're not walking in the ways of Christ. We get into race, or we can get into a language, or we can get into a class, or we can get into a, a culture. And so, you know, we want to hang with people of our same race, or our, our same class, or same culture. Many times in the world today, we see that. The divisions that can take place, sometimes it's a language. But ours, as a believer in Christ, is the, the commonness of that birth of Jesus Christ, in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. See, some want to come to Jesus as a Savior. I don't want to go to hell. I want Jesus as my Savior. I'll say that little prayer, and I'll go to heaven. But the Bible says we call him both Lord and Savior. And Lord means that he has dominion over your life. Lord means that I'm doing what I do to please him, and I'm walking in his ways. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, loving Christ, uh, or loving God whom he begot, loves him who is begotten by him. See, John understood within the church there was always divisions. He understood that those within the church, and Paul dealt with this in Corinth, that amongst themselves there was factions and fighting, and are you a Paulus, are you a John, are you this one, are you that one? People always want to divide and conquer. John says the love of God brings us together. To love all others in the family of God, that means other believers, is not to limit your love to your own denomination, to your own race of people, to your own uh, financial status group. That's not being part of the family of God. You don't limit your love to those things. No. God's love was unlimited to us. For God so loved the world. It doesn't talk about he so loved this or so loved that. And many times we can stand in our, our denomination proudly. There's denominations that do stand generally for the truth, though every church can be a little bit different. But our name is not in a denomination. Our name is in Christ. I am a Christian. I am a Christ follower. He is the one that I'm seeking after. And if any of these other things mean more to you than that commonality of salvation, 
or the common lordship of Jesus Christ, then something's very wrong. And it's a sickness and it's a disease and it's penetrated within the church and within the family of God. To stay focused on God, to keep our eyes on God. The demonstration of of God's love in our life. Verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments, that's the first part of it. You can say, well, I love the family of God. Oh, I love the family of God. I love my brothers and sisters in Christ. But do you love God? Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I say. You will do what I command. There's many, again, that that want to be a part of this church family. Not just here, the worldly church family. Want to be part of the family of God, but they have no desire in their heart to live Christian. They have no desire in their heart to be Christ followers. They want the convenience. They want the insurance policy against hell. John says these things do not intertwine. Our trust and our faith in our Lord and Savior is who he is. And just as much as our love for the people of God reflects our love for God, as expressed in chapter 3, verse 10, verse 17, so our love and obedience to God is demonstrated by the love of the body of the Christ. See, they're intertwined. They cannot be separated out. So John's really saying as we love God more, we can't help but love the body. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Sometimes if we're legalistic, we like the checklists. We like the list of do's and don'ts. We like to cross these things off and say, well, I'm a little bit more righteous. I'm a little bit more holy. I'm a little bit better off than this person because... I do these things and this thing and this thing and this thing. And some of these things can be good things to do. But God didn't give us a checklist. Getting in your word every day, reading the Bible every day is very important. Prayer, very important. Church attendance, very important. But the world's full of people that don't come to church. they're, They're full of professing Christians that don't read their Bible or maybe rarely nod their head in prayer. John says that's hypocrisy. John actually goes on to say, if you're professing these things and living in darkness contrary to God's word, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So what do you have in your life? He says to obey Christ, to love God and to obey him and what he has called us to do. We don't get the cart before the horse. Sometimes people say, well, you know, if I do all these good things, then I'll, uh, I'm, I'm going to prove I'm a Christian. No. God says when you have a relationship with me, and I'm living in you by my Holy Spirit, you're going to do these good things. My cup runneth over. The Spirit is given to us to convict us, to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us. To give us the answers to the things of life. When our love of God And when our obedience towards him grows cold, we don't only harm ourselves, but we harm the body of Christ. Is your actions, is your lifestyle a drag on the body of Christ? Do you hold back the work of Christ? Do you impede the work of Christ? Do you bring shame to the work of Christ? Christ. 
Or are you, as James would say, doers of his word? See, a lot of people like to sit on their hands and, and think about all the ministries that should be done or could be done or would be done if somebody would do them. But they don't. The damage is done, at the very least, because we're a drag on the body of Christ. We're hindering the progress of, of the gospel, of the movements that go on. I think Alistair Begg says the, the thing about life is it comes at us very fast. 60 seconds every minute. We're looking at something new. I was at my daughter's, youngest daughter's, birthday party yesterday, 31 years old. And as I'm there, I'm looking at some of the grandkids and some of her friends with little babies. And I'm thinking, just yesterday, that was her. And here she is, 31, two children. Life goes by fast. We miss opportunities. And life is busy, and life goes on fast. We can remember. I mean, I, sometimes I can think back to my childhood days, and it seems just like yesterday. And here I am today. How much time have we wasted in our life, even in the gospel, since we've been a Christian, living for him, doing what he would have us to do, being a part of his plan, being a part of his movement that happens within the body of Christ. To love God is to keep his commandments. And so John says, the one who says he loves God yet walks a lifestyle of conscience disobedience. So just to get that clear, we're all sinful in our life. We have sin that we battle in our life. The spirit battles with the flesh our whole life. We, we go through this. John is very clear on that. God is faithful and just when we repent of those sins to forgive us our sins. But here he's talking about when we walk in a lifestyle, consciously being disobedient to what God's word says. That means we know it's wrong. We know it's an offense to God. We're embarrassed of it. We don't want other believers to know that we're doing it, and so we try to hide it and, and keep it under a rug. They claim to walk in light, yet they're walking in darkness. John 1.6 says, you're a liar. You're a liar. It's not me saying it. It's the word of God that claims that. Maybe John had the words of Jesus in mind in his gospel when he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he says, my commandments are not burdensome. Simply love for God is going to show itself in the obedience. Usually if you step back and if you look at somebody, and I usually say, you know, it's not always good to look at everybody, but generally if we step back and we're looking at people, you can look at their life, you can look at their lifestyle. And you can make a determination of where God is in their life. Just by watching them. No words spoken. Just watch their actions. Watch how they treat people. Watch how they speak to people. Watch their attitudes towards others. And you can see if Christ is at the top of their heart. The Bible says our God is a jealous God. He wants to be in the forefront of our thoughts. He wants to be the king of our life. He wants us to consider him in, in all of our decisions and things that we make. It's not like we need to be some cultish people walking around like that, but blessed is the man whose mind is stayed upon thee. 
That means I'm thinking about God. When I do things, what would God have me do in this situation? Have you ever said something and as the words are coming out of your mouth, your mind all of a sudden engages and said, oh, I should not have said that. You grab for those words, but guess what? It's too late. They're out there. The damage is done. I think it says something like for every negative comment you make, you need to make like 20 or 30 positive comments just to try to offset that one negative comment. Our world today, the church today, believers today are full of negativity. They find the bad. They focus on the wrong. Instead, as Jesus says, focus on what he has done. Focus on what he is doing. Boyce says this, Christians frequently attempt to turn love for God into an emotional, mushy experience, but John does not allow this in his epistle. So Boyce is saying that John is saying that our love for God is not based on strictly emotions. We can be emotional, we can get excited for God, we can love God. Sometimes when God works in our life, it can bring us to tears. But if it's always based on emotions, there's going to be times when you're going to be angry with God and you're going to not like what's going on or you're going to try to justify your sin out of different things. But our love for God, it says, is shown through the way that we live, the choices that we make, the words that we say. And it says his commandments are not burdensome. Think of that. Young people today, when you, when you talk to them about Christ, it's like, well, maybe when I'm done sowing my oats, maybe when I'm done doing this, and once I've lived my life, or once I get old like you, then maybe, you know, because i got life to live. I don't, I don't have time for all this restrictions on my life. And we look at that sometimes. And so sometimes people can feel very burdened by the commandments of God. And people insist that they're, or the Bible insists that they're not burdensome. John says they are not burdensome. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not a burden to us. Why do people act like following Jesus is a burden? Why do so many Christians have sourpuss faces most of the time when you see them? I love seeing the Christians that have the joy of the Lord. The smile, it can be raining outside and they can still say, you know what? The joy of the Lord is my strength, as the scriptures would talk about. The rocks cry out, praise God for what he does. Praise him in the storm, praise him in the valleys. And they have a smile on their face. And so instead of the, the burdensome requirements of trying to keep hundreds of little rules and regulation, Jesus simply said this, love me and my people and you will walk in obedience. Or he said it this way to his disciples, to be more clear. What's the greatest commandment? What, what should we be doing? What should we really be focusing on, Lord? I mean, there's the Ten Commandments, and of course the Pharisees, just like the modern day Pharisees, they keep adding on, adding on, adding on. I think in the Torah there were 613 laws. Today, some churches probably have well over a thousand things that they can find the do's and the don'ts. But they come to Jesus. What's the most important commandments to do? And what did he say? Love the Lord your God 
with everything you have. Heart, soul, mind. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. And those two things are fulfilled all the commandments. And so Jesus says, love me and my people. That's just an abbreviated version, but it's easier to think of sometimes than memorizing all the scripture. God says, love me. Love the brethren. That's what John is saying. And he says, when you do that, you're going to walk in obedience. If you really love me, Jesus says, you will do what I command. When you really love God, the way that you should, you're going to walk in obedience to his word. Coming to church isn't going to be a problem. It isn't going to be a challenge. It isn't going to be a, a like, oh man, not again, Sunday again, oh man. No, for the believers, man, today's the day. We get to get together and worship together. Get to see my brothers and sisters in Christ. When we love God and we have the opportunity to help somebody that's in need with some clothing or some food or just some, a helping hand. It's not like, oh man, I'm so tired. I had a rough week and now I got to... No, it's like, man, thank you, Lord, for giving me this opportunity. And for all you've blessed me, God, just let me bless somebody. And we can go about that with a smile on our face. Think about Jacob. And Laban. Seven years he worked for the woman he loved. And it seemed like a few days. And then because of deceit he had to do it again. But, but think of that. Which one of you men would do that today? Well, you know your wife now, so you probably would do it. Or maybe not, I don't know. But way back then if somebody said, you know what? you've got to wait seven years before you can have this woman and, and you're going to be working that seven years for me for that. Today, most people would say, I'm not going to do that. And Jacob did. It just seemed like days to him. Do you have that attitude towards God or is his works burdensome? Is doing the work of the Lord burdensome? And the other thing that we do a lot of times is it's like, well, you know, I always say this. I can do godly things or I can do the things of God. Many Christians today want to do godly things, but they want to do the godly things they want to do. Well, this is what I want to do, and this is how I want to do it. And this is, instead of saying, what is the thing that God wants me to do? That's being obedient again to God. So obeying God's commands does not seem a burden when you really love him. Again, men, think about when you were courting your wife or dating and you wanted to make her happy. If you're a parent, think of your child and the, their birthday is coming and you want to do that special something for them. And yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. But I love that person. And so it's not a burden. God says the same thing. When we love him the way that we should, it is not a burden on us. Verses 4 and 5, For whatever is born of God overcomes this world. This is the great news. As the cathedrals sing their song, I've read the back of the book and we've won. We are overcomers. 
You might say, but you don't understand the, the, the trials and the temptations that I face in life. You don't understand the, the, the power of this addiction or the thought pattern that I feel trapped in. Jesus says he's given us the victory. He says if we are born of God, we can overcome the world. As a matter of fact, for John, the idea that anything born of God could be defeated by the world was a foreign thought. John would have never said, he says, you're a Christian, you've overcome the world. You're, you're a Christian, you have victory. Not of our own strength and of our own power, and that's where we fall short many times because we're working in the flesh, we're working in our, in our own power and might because we like to control everything. And let me tell you, you will never have victory in anything in your life, anything in your life, until you give the reins to God. A church is never going to have the, the ministry that it's intended to have until you let God take control. Man and man's religion tries to control things in his life, in his family, in his church, in his job, in his community. That's just how we are wired that's the flesh that we battle up against. I want control. I want it this way. And we don't relinquish these things to God. And God says, let go. I am sovereign. I am in control. God has the power who spoke all of creation into existence with one word. He has the power and control to make anything happen. But we don't think that he can deliver us from something. We don't think he can heal us. We don't think we have the victory in our life. For whoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Not my wisdom, not my knowledge, not my strength, not my determination, not my willpower. Our faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Our faith is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has given us the Holy Spirit in our life, that's where our victory comes. And so when John says, I can't even imagine that anything born of God would think of defeat because we've overcome in Jesus Christ. The victory has been at Calvary. He has risen, he has overcome death. Job says, though they slay me, still will I worship him. We can face all sorts of things in this life. But Jesus is the end result is that you'll be sitting with me in my glory. And so since believing in him is the key, right? That's our faith. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone can boast. It says that the key to victory is faith. Not, not just the, the come to the altar to get saved type of faith, but the day-to-day -day faith, putting our trust in him. Facing whatever it is, that lays before us on a day-by-day -day basis with faith and an ongoing reliance in Jesus Christ. I know some of you are going through struggles in your life right now. I know some of you have, have, have things that you're just facing that a lot of us can't imagine. Day-by-day, -day, we put our reliance and our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. We have the victory. He is with us. And if he be with us, who could be against us? We need that. He who is he who overcomes the world. We overcome 
because we're born of God and we're born of God because we believe that he is the Savior, that he is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. Not just in an intellectual sense, not just saying, I know about Jesus, I've been raised in the church, I read the Bible, but we know him personally, we know him agape. We are grafted in, we are the vine, his presence, his being through the Holy Spirit flows through us and us through him. We are knit and bound together. Spurgeon says this, look at any Greek lexicon you like. And you will find that the word faith or believe does not merely mean to believe, but to trust, to confide in, to commit to, to entrust with, and so forth. The very marrow of the meaning of faith is confidence in reliance upon. Do you have confidence in Jesus in your life? Do you rely upon him each and every day when you get up to say, give me the strength, give me the wisdom, give me the words? Give me the self-control. Or do you just walk your walk? So how is it that we can become world overcomers in Jesus? Well, he tells us. He says, I say this so you will have peace in me. See, it's all about being in Christ. It's about that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. John 16.33 says this, In the world you will have tribulation. That means you're going to have troubles. You're going to have problems. You're going to have conflict. You're going to have mountains and valleys. You're going to have tunnels. You're going to have things you've got to burrow through. Sometimes it's going to be like walking through a muddy swamp in life. You are going to have tribulation in your life. But look at what he says, but be of good cheer. What do you mean be of good cheer? I'm supposed to be in cheer when I'm in the middle of a swamp? Do you understand what my life is? And what I'm going through, Jesus says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You may be in a swamp, but there's something much greater beyond that swamp. I am with you. You know, sometimes uh, I just read this, that when you think like you're hanging on by a thread, make sure that that thread is attached to the hem of Jesus. See, he'll take you through those things. If God be for me, who can be against me? If he's walking with me, I have nothing to fear. He is my rock. He is my shield. He is my salvation. Because Jesus has overcome the world. Not of anything that I've done, but because Jesus has overcome the world, as we abide in him, we are overcomers in him. Are you walking in him? Are you praying in him? Are you seeking to be in him? Christian, Christ follower, are you following him? He has given us an example that we should follow in his footsteps. John said those things that were, those people who are growing in their walk with Christ, those that are continuing to grow with him, it says, you have overcome the wicked one. 1 John 2, 13, 14, we talked about that a few weeks ago. You have overcome the wicked one. Have you overcome the wicked one in your life? You'll never do it in the flesh. You'll never do it of yourself. As we walk with Jesus, and as we grow in that walk, we will overcome our spiritual enemies. See, there's nothing hidden from God. God brings everything to light. 
are going to overcome those spiritual enemies. Whatever it is you're going through now, God says you got the victory. It doesn't always mean we're going to be healed from every disease. I'm not saying that. It doesn't mean we're never going to have troubles again in our life. I'm not saying that. But whatever it is that you're going through, he has promised that he is with us. And he has already overcome the world. And so if we're with him, we shall too. Revelations even tells us that overcomers have a special place in the world to come. The hereafter, the life after. Jesus promised, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Sort of a neat personal invitation, isn't it? Jesus is saying to you and me. If we are a born again believer, if we are a child of God, he says, I grant with you to sit with me on my throne. And he says, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. What a wonderful promise that God gives us. Overcomers overcome because the blood of Jesus overcomes Satan's accusations. Some of you that are going through struggles, you know this. I face this. Satan's whispering in my ear all the time, trying to lead me astray. And by the way, he doesn't always come as Satan. But there's those voices of doubt, those voices of dissension, those voices of disunity, those voices of, of, you know, whatever, aspersions. We listen to those voices sometimes in our life. But the blood of Jesus overcomes Satan's accusations. When he tells you you're not good enough, it's never going to happen, you're never going to have victory in your life, you just put him in your place. You just plead the blood of Jesus on him. Say, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. I trust in him. The word of their testimony overcame Satan's deceptions. Satan comes as an angel of light sometimes. He looks like he's doing things for the right reason and the right cause, but it's really to cause chaos and destruction. It even tells us that loving their lives, it says, they overcome Satan's violence. Revelation will tell us that. We have the victory in Jesus. Close with a verse from Paul. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have the victory of Christ in your life? Do you know him as personal Savior? Are you walking the walk that he would have you to walk? If not, get right with him today. Your life depends on it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, so many of us fail to walk in your word. Father, we just pray as we close today that we would set aside pretenses, that we would set aside agendas and different things in our life, and that our eyes would be fixed upon you. And that as we follow you, Lord, we know that we grow closer. And as we grow closer to you, obedience becomes easier. Many times we're not obedient to you because we are far from you. As the scripture says, we worship you with our lips, but our hearts are far from you. Father, we pray that as you speak to hearts today, that your work and your will would be done. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.